We'll turn now in God's holy word to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. And this will be our text for this morning's message. Esther chapter 4. Now earlier, as we read in Esther chapter 3, we read of tragic news for God's people. Really terrible and terrifying, scary news of what wicked Haman was plotting, using the power of the Persian Empire against God's people. A plan to kill both young and old, women and children. What can be done? What can be done when we hear of tragic and heartbreaking news. Now, if I could perhaps speak to the children for a moment before we read the Word of God. How many of you children here have pets? Are there any people with pets here? Maybe dogs, maybe cats, maybe a goldfish. And I don't know about you, you probably love your pets. Pets are great, aren't they? And one of the reasons why bad news about our pets can be so heartbreaking is because we love our pets so much. We have a dog for years and years and we don't want anything bad to happen to that little pet. So that's why it's so heartbreaking if we hear that a dog dies or a cat dies or something like that. I still remember when I was small, I was about 10 years old, and our first dog, Max, he was only a little puppy, and he got hit by a car on the roads. How do you think I reacted? Obviously, I was crying. I was very, very sad. And I still remember that all these years later, my dad telling me that our little Jack Russell was hit on the roads. Now, is there anything wrong with being sad? I think sometimes us men will think, I, n- I never cry, only when nobody can watch. There's nothing wrong with sadness, is there? There's nothing wrong with tears. What does it show? It shows we're sad. It shows we're hurt. It shows sorrow. It is completely normal. It is completely normal and it shows we care. Now let us think of if we hear of the death of a loved one. The news can be even harder than that. Much harder than that. Because we hear of a fellow image bearer of God. Who is not with us anymore. And that sadness can be even harder to deal with. And when those tears come they are normal and I would say even healthy. Grieving is so important that we don't bottle it up. And I think and I sympathize with your own loss here in Galway of your dear elder, Frank, who went to be with the Lord recently. We need to grieve, don't we, when we lose dear loved ones. A friend of mine passed away last week as well. We miss them. But if they're Christians, we know where they're at. We know where they are. But the pain and the sorrow is still there. But there's healing. 
there is healing. All offered by Christ. All offered in the pages of Holy Scripture. Holy healing balm. So children, I want you to think of when you fall off your bike, what happens? Are you happy? No. There's pain. Perhaps you whack your knee, you scrape your knee, and there's pain. And is that bad? The pain? No. The pain is telling you something is wrong, you could say. There's, There's a need of a healing. There's need of comfort. That healing spiritually comes in the gospel. And so as we read Esther chapter 4, I want us all to think, both young and old, all of us, I want us to think, where is the healing in this passage? Where is the healing bomb? Because universally, we've all, every single one of us has bad news. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have bad news. If we're here this morning, we love Jesus Christ, we have heard that bad news. You're a sinner. You have broken the law of God. But at the same time, there's good news. Fantastic news. Wonderful news. In Jesus Christ for all who have trusted in Him. Who have repented of the sins and trusted in Him. So, as we turn now to Esther chapter 4, let us hear now God's holy and infallible word. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her. And the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him. But he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs whom he had appointed to attend her. And she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree of their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show to Esther and explain it to her, that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hatak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who comes into the inner court to the king who has been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. 
So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer (coughs) Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told him to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Queen Esther is a very popular figure in the Bible. Especially among young people in our own home with our two girls. They're both seven years old. Esther is a very popular figure. She's known for her bravery, isn't she? She's known for being a godly example in many areas of her life. Now let us think for a second, when did Esther live? When was she alive? She lived during the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire. Now, you might know the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire. This was the big empire before the Persians. And then, who took over after the Babylonians? The Persians themselves Now you might not know much about the Persians or the Persian Empire or the kings and rulers of that empire. But know this, it was the biggest empire of the day. And until that time, it was the biggest empire the world had seen. Bigger than the Babylonian Empire that went before it. What does that mean? Well, it had great power to do good things and it also had great power to do bad things. If we go back in time a little bit, in Persian history, King Cyrus, who's written about in in Isaiah hundreds of years before this, but King Cyrus did something good. He sent the Jews back to their land. He sent God's people back to their home to rebuild Jerusalem. That's a good thing. But now, King Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes, as he's also known in Greek, listens to the wicked Haman. Leading to something extremely wicked. What is going on? What is the plot by the wicked Haman? We'll remind ourselves of Esther 3 verse 13 in the previous chapter. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy To kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women. This is heartbreaking news. I think we can't lose the gravity of what it must have meant for the Jews to hear this. Uh, Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, it's all over. Think about it. 
the greatest empire that the world had ever seen is now seeking out to annihilate you. How did they react? How did they react to such news? Such tragic news? And how do we react to our own tragic news in our own lives? We all face horrible news. News we wish we would never hear. But will it honor God? That's what we should always think. In our responses to tragic news, will it honor God? The question is not whether we'll face tragic news. The question is how do we respond to it? That news that God brings into our life. The first point we're going to look at here this morning is the reaction. The reaction. Now, from Esther chapter 3... We are told that Mordecai did not bow before Haman. Now we're not told exactly why. But it seems that Haman was seeking some kind of idolatrous worship. That he was attributing to himself, a, a kind of, that he thought himself as a god. Whatever the reason, Mordecai felt, as a Jew, that he could not Pay this homage or this honor toward Haman. And what happened then? Did Mordecai, did Haman just say, well, that's okay. That's no problem. No. The wrath of Haman came not only against Mordecai. It came against all the people of God. Because he was against God's people. Now, with all that news, with all that horrible news we read in Esther chapter 3, how does Mordecai react? And before we think about and read how Mordecai reacts in these first three verses of our text, how do we normally think of leadership reacting in situations? Don't we think of, you hear terrible news and you're almost no reaction. I remember I was watching a documentary I think it was a few weeks ago about Queen Elizabeth and she heard some terrible news and there was no reaction from her face and they thought that was great leadership. Normally we think of robotic detachment from grief to be great leadership. Now we're all different, we're all made different, but in terms of tragedy there are times when we do need to grieve. Verses 1 to 3 of our text When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Verse 3 tells us, And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth. And ashes. He is distraught. He's heartbroken. Perhaps what is going through his mind is this. He thought perhaps, well, I'm not going to bow before Mordecai, but I alone will suffer. It's bringing the wrath of Haman upon all of God's people. Whatever was going through his mind, it was more than he could bear. 
Now we have to think about where God's people were at this time. They were in a very fragile state. A little bit later in time, in, in the book of uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah sees the state of God's people, sees Jerusalem in ruins, and he says this in Nehemiah 1.4, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Godly people hear the city of God. The, the people of God are in trouble. And what do they do? They weep. Now Nehemiah cries here because what was the city of God, Jerusalem, meant to be a light unto the nations. But it was a reproach. It was a shame. Mordecai now Covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth, it was very common for the nations at that time to cover themselves in this kind of rough goat skin in order to express grief, in order to express sorrow. And they covered themselves in ashes as well. Why? To express shame. Shame. This news weighs heavy on Mordecai because he loves his people. He loves. His people. He cares deeply about his people. And he wants their well-being. He does not take the news. In a light, cool and detached manner. What does it say in verse 1? He cried out with a loud. Or literally a great and bitter cry. Can you imagine that? If you heard that. Can you imagine hearing that? You know, someone hearing tragic news. And, and the grief is so much that you hear a wailing from someone you care deeply about. He's in anguish. There's great grief here. I think in the West, in the West today, we're almost afraid of certain types of emotions. I think as you go further north, you know, we're not as huggy as would be people around Italy and Spain and we're maybe a bit more afraid of these emotions, these great outpourings of anguish. It's not always appropriate, of course. But in grief, crying and weeping is like breathing. Like a pressure cooker, the pressure coming out. When you open the top of the pressure cooker and it spills out, it has to come out. It has to. And there's great distress as well among the Jews who heard this. Remind ourselves that there was fasting, weeping and wailing. Wailing. Great distress. Uh, And how about we think also about the example of Christ. Then the most perfect man to ever walk upon the face of the earth. Was he cool and detached and nothing ever affected him? Not at all. He came towards Jerusalem... It says in Luke 19 verse 41. Now as he drew near. He saw the city and he wept. He wept over it. And if you go through. Dear friends. If you go through the, 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 the history of the church. Some of the most beloved preachers to ever enter a pulpit. Some of them never had a dry eye in the pulpit. Because they loved God. And they loved the people so much. And it's often under those times that revival comes. But when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't the architecture. 
It was his people. He wept over it. Our mourning at times is absolutely necessary. It shows that we care. It shows the loss and the hurt of missing loved ones. Now, having said all that, and mourning is important. We don't mourn forever, do we? We do not mourn forever. As there's a reality to deal with. How do we deal with the reality underneath that mourning? It's only through God that gives us the strength to deal with that. So we've looked at the reaction. The reaction. Now we're going to look at the reality, number two. Number two, the reality. Weeping, sackcloth, and ashes. This kind of grief is not always suitable, is it? Let's face it. If someone every day of their life was always this way, morning, noon, and night, you probably think maybe not always the right way to go about things. Sometimes children, or even us adults, we can overreact to situations. Now, we don't need to look far for overreactions to situations. Just turn on, uh, if you're on Twitter for more than five minutes, or if you turn on the media, every day there's overreactions to something. Go A few days later, it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't so bad, was it? We don't want to encourage emotion just for emotion. You want to deal with the reality underneath this. We also don't want to be out of control. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And that sound mind has got the idea of discipline. Now, so the question is here now, is the reality, is the reality as bad as Mordecai's reaction and the people of God's reaction hint that it is? Is it that bad? Well, let us see now. As Esther discovers herself what is happening. Verses 4 onwards. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, that he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her. And she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what... And why this was. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the city square. That was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened. And the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay. Into the king's treasuries. And then Esther finds out this way. Mordecai in verse 2 approaches the gates. He, abro- he approaches the gates, it tells us in verse 2, he went as far as the front of the king's gates, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with fath cloth. The way he was dressed wasn't allowed within the Persian courts at the time. But he refused to have this clothing removed. That's what Esther wanted to do at first. She wanted to remove this clothing. Now let's think about what this, what's happening here. Esther, what is she doing? She's, she is sad. She doesn't want to see Mordecai sad. And what does she try to do? She wants to take away the outward expressions of grief. 
but without dealing with the underlying problem first. At first, she doesn't deal with the underlying problem. Verse 4, once again, uh, it says, says, Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sathoth away from him, but he would not accept them. He would not accept them. Esther now has to deal with the problem. Then Esther called Hattak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. To learn what and why this was. So when we see someone in distress, our immediate reaction is this. We don't want to see them sad. Uh, let's face it, it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? If we're happy, we want everybody else to be happy around us. And so it leads maybe to quick solutions. We, we maybe crack a joke. I'm guilty of this as well, by the way. Um, we want quick solutions. Uh, we, and you know what we do, what we first do in the situation does not help. So often we need to listen, don't we, to others. So often we need to listen and learn what is the problem. What is the reality of the reaction? And what is going on in the heart and mind of that person that if it's a dearly beloved brother or sister in Christ, or if it's not a brother or sister in Christ, we still need to learn, listen and learn what they're going through. How much don't we, when we're going through times of grief and sorrow, and we love when friends of ours come around to us and listen to us for hours on end, talking about our issues and problems, and how good we feel at the end of it that somebody's willing to listen to us. Concerned about how we're doing, who will ring us up occasionally. And thank God for such people. Thank God for such people. But sometimes we don't want to hear the answer, do we? Because I think deep down, and same with myself, we, we learn of the problem. And we, if we learn of the problem, then we're all thinking, will we all be in sackcloth and ashes? Will we all be mourning if we hear about this reality that's causing such distress for this person? This tragic news. Then comes Mordecai to Hathak, and then it is sent over to Esther. Tragic news, destruction awaits the Jews if nothing changes. If, if the current direction of things continue, it's a state of emergency. They're finished, humanly speaking. Humanly speaking. So this is a time of emergency. And sometimes even sin in the church, in churches that cause division and other things, that can be a state of emergency in the church. Over the centuries, there has been, hasn't there, more and more of a departure from God. And we see it all around us, don't we? In the media and things, there is the suppression of the truth and unrighteousness. When we discover the truth, we see a godly person deeply weighed down by something. And we learn of the heartbreaking reality, the truth of that reality. We may wish not to know. Ecclesiastes 1.18 says this, For much wisdom... Is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon is warning people here. He's not saying go away from it, but if the more you get to know about the reality of things, the more you're going to suffer. The the way to obedience in Christ is the way of the cross. It is suffering. And we need to learn and to study where God wants us to change and the reality of situations. And this is not an easy path. 
It's the path that we all struggle with. It's the path that Peter struggled with before Christ. When Christ said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense unto me. Because Peter couldn't get his mind around the fact that this mighty king was going to come and die and suffer on a Roman cross. He couldn't get his head around that. But we're reminded again in Ecclesiastes 7.4. The heart of, of the fool, or of the wise, sorry, is in the heart, is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth, mirth or merriment or amusement. Esther being wise, she wants to know what is going on. She wants to know what is causing that pain. And it caused her pain too to learn of it. The persecuted church around the world. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. There's dark times we just don't want to hear it, do we? But it brings us great sadness when we do hear it. But we need to know. There are things, friends, we need to know. And they're not easy to hear. But by hearing them, we can change and act appropriately. And number three now, the root. The root. And the root is another way of saying the way. The way. So the reaction, the reality, the root. What is the answer to all this? Humanly speaking, all is lost. It doesn't look good. But humanly speaking, the only thing that they can do and think about here in this text is to appeal before the king. King Ahasuerus or also King Xerxes as he is in history. To appear to him. Now, to come before him was certain doom, death. Unless he invited you into his presence. And extended that scepter. That scepter. Giving permission for the person to enter. Verses 10 to 12. Then Esther spoke to Hattak and gave him a command to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man and woman who, give, who goes into the inner court of, to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death. Put all to death. Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. And Esther says this, I, yet I, I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. The route doesn't seem very promising, does it? It's risky. It is risky. Actually, in, in, humanly speaking, it looks like it's a death sentence. And let us think for a second. You know, the great kings of the past... It was a great privilege to come before them, to approach them in the first place, to, to come into their presence. Men of that day would not dare to just run up to the king and maybe give him a high five or do something casual like that, would they? And there was a sense of them trying to preserve their prestige. They wanted people to have a respect for them because if they lost that healthy respect among the people, well... People might stop listening to them and other things like that. We're very casual today, aren't we? And I'm not saying that we should maybe go back to that and this is something we should implement today. No. But for most of human history, people were terrified of their kings. You look at them sideways and they would send you to your death. 
We don't know some of the horrors the people have suffered under the hands of tyrannical and horrible kings. And I'm not saying we should return to it, of course not. But we find it hard, don't we, to get our heads around that type of mentality. The route to the king, if we go in our own name, is death. Death. But there's a far greater king than this king of Persia, isn't there? A king whose kingdom makes this look tiny and puny in comparison. Uh, The king of kings and the lord of lords, says Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority, not just some, not most, all. All authority, every blade of grass, every inch. God says, mine. Much more than the Persian Empire, as impressive as it was. It is nothing compared to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How do we come to him? How do we come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, whose majesty is far greater, and we can't come in our own name? If we come to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our own name, the, it is certain death. It's not a question. We will die. I know in, in Christian theology, we say, you know, if people do not trust in Jesus Christ and they die... If they don't trust in Christ, they are eternally separated from God. Yes, but there's also another sense in which you're never really separated from God. Because he's all omnipresent. And he is there with the damned in hell. He is the reason for the wrath. It's the wrath of Almighty God. It's not the wrath of the devil. It's not the wrath of other sinners. It's the wrath of God that men are saved from. All authority... Has been given to this king. And if we come before him. There is death. Not just one death. But eternal death. If we come before him in our own works. The end will not be good. But if we come to him. In the name of another. In the name of someone who the king. God the father delights in. Who might that be? Who does God the father delight in? And will always embrace into the inner court. And will always bring into his presence. Who does he delight in? But Jesus Christ the righteous. Who kept the law perfectly. In every single jot and tittle. So if you come to the king of kings and the lord of lords. In the name of Jesus Christ. What is certain is the king will embrace you. He will delight in you. He will extend that scepter toward you. And Allow you to come in because he delights. Friends, he delights in you because of Christ. Not because of you. Not because of your sin. But because of Christ. I learned this. I was saved about six, seven years. I read a book by R.C. Sproul about the love of God. And it just clicked with me. God doesn't put up with us for the sake of Christ. He delights in us. Because of Christ. If we would but embrace that, our prayer life would be transformed. Imagine that. It, it, it's a pleasant aroma before the throne of room of heaven. We're not thinking, I, I've, I've just done something horrible. I can't pray. I need to clean myself up a little bit. No, because of Christ, it is all a wonderful, delightful thing before the throne room 
of heaven. Because of this, as the voice from heaven said in, in Mark 1 verse 11. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you are clothed in Christ, he represents you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, forsaken your sin. This is your future. Eternal life. Not eternal death, but eternal life. It says, my little children, these things I write unto you. This is in 1 John 2, 1. So that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, and we all do, we have an advocate. Or another, a lawyer or representative with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if we sin, we have a representative who stands before the throne room of grace. Esther's not sure if she'll be put to death by going before this king. She doesn't know. She says at one point, if I perish, I perish in verse 16. She doesn't know. She doesn't know the future. She knows that the God cannot be manipulated. But we are sure of life in Christ if we are in him. We are sure of permission to enter into this blessed place because of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the root. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the root to healing and tragic news, bad news, the worst news we'll ever hear is we are sinners. And, and our future brings death if things don't change, is the gospel through Jesus Christ. The root, the way, is Jesus Christ, bringing us into the presence of God himself. And the final point this morning is this, the righteous response. The righteous response. So we've looked at the reaction, the reality, the root, and now finally, the righteous response. Humanly speaking, if you hear this news, you might understand them hiding under a rock. This is happening, let's just run away and hide. Our flesh says hide, doesn't it? When trouble comes, our flesh is bringing us to hide. But having trusted in the king, we must obey him. We must obey him. Because that's what faith looks like. Faith is it looks like outward obedience, good works. And that obedience brings danger. It brings dangers in this world. John 14, 15 says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Mordecai reminds her of this. Out of the love for the people of God, verses 13 and 14. And Mordecai told them to, to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Mordecai is trusting in the providence of God. He knows that the people of God will continue. And he says Esther look if you don't speak up. God will deliver his people another way. But you. But you and your father's house will perish. Because that's what unbelief looks like. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And today in 2022, as persecution, as animosity towards the Christian message becomes more and more obvious. Uh, openly celebrated are crimes against nature. 
unnatural things. The pride parade, you know, people all month celebrating that which is contrary to the revealed, created order of God. That which surrounds them. Male and female, all these things they have rejected. Ungodly, unnatural. And we pray for these people. We want them to come to know Christ. And we know of many brothers and sisters in Christ who have left behind that lifestyle and come to know Christ. But when they're suffering in the body, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer, don't we? Compromise is very easy in a time such as this. But standing for truth is rarely easy. Actually, it never is. How does Esther respond? Knowing the danger. This route, humanly speaking, everybody would think, are you crazy? You're going into the presence of the king? Why would you do that? Hide yourself away. Okay, everybody else is going to die, but you're not going to change his mind. She responds in faith. She responds righteously. And what does that look like? A willingness to die. For the cause of Christ. That's what faith looks like. A willingness to die. I know we may think, I don't know how I would react if this situation came to me. And of course we can say, like Peter in his early time, I would never do that. And Peter discovered later on that he denied him three times. We need to be careful we're not too confident in our own ability. We need to trust in the Lord. But faith is a willingness to die for the sake of Christ and for his people. She responds in love. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. What does she say to them? Fast for me. And this is not just about them not eating and drinking. This is about prayer. This is about prayer. This is about helping prayer in a time of crisis, in a time of mourning, in a time of great tragedy. That's, that's what faith looks like. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, 39. Faith is not just coming to church service. And look, we praise God for every single last one of you here. And we're all, our, our faith, every single last one of us is weak. And the closer we come to God, we realize more and more how much we fall short of the glory of God. But it is not just coming to a church service once a week. And living like an atheist for the rest of it. It is a willingness to follow Christ no matter the cost. No matter the consequences. Because he is worthy. And anything we lose in this life. And it will cost us. We gain a hundredfold. Many many more times in the world to come. As Spurgeon once wrote. That, that religion that costs a man nothing. Is worth nothing. It will cost us in this world. And Esther was willing. To have it cost her. Her life. Now we know in Esther 5. She doesn't lose her life. Praise God. But she's willing to follow. It's never easy to deal with bad news, is it? It's never easy. We are human beings with natural emotions when it comes to grief. In fact, we shouldn't be casual with such bad news. There's, there's a time when we should grieve. and When we should show the type of mourning that Mordecai and the people of God show here. It's very much appropriate. Perhaps it's even appropriate today with the state of our nation. 
But the worst news any of us will ever deal with is our sin. Have you dealt with that tragic news? Have you dealt with that bad and terrifying reality? There's healing though. There's healing in Christ. There's eternal relief in Christ. And the question for you here this evening, or this morning, sorry. Have you been saved? And if you are a Christian, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, can you say in your heart, though I may fail, though I know I fall short of God's glory and I fail at times, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. And if we're not at that point, friends, then we need to repent and look toward the God who saved us, who died for us, knowing it will cost us, knowing, just as he did in the time of Esther, he controls the outcome. He controls the future. And he is, in his presence, is the safest place to be. Amen.